0: Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica.
1: And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture,
0: interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Namaste and hello everyone. Jessica here this week for episode 57 with Tripti Lahiri, the author of Made in India. This is my first of several episodes as part of a literature series. I have several authors and educators on the show. Tripti has been on my list for a long time and I was fascinated by her book, Made in India and just had to get her on the show as I mulled through the pages and reflected on the different themes that she had. Tripti has lived all around the world and has an astute gift of observation. Let me just read from the back of the book. We eat first, they later, often out of food portioned out for them. We live in the front, they in the back. We sit on chairs and they on the floor. We drink from glasses and ceramic plates and they from ones made of steel set aside for them. We call them by their name and they address us by titles. Sir, Ma'am, Sahab, Ma'am Sahab. There is so much to unpack with this book, Made in India. I think this is one of the best books about inequality and opportunities in the labor force of India, but also just about Indian culture in general. There's so many aspects of Indian culture which are not visible to the outside eye at first glance, and Tripti does a fantastic job of, of covering those things. And this is part one of our incredible conversation about Made in India, and so much more. Part two is coming just next week. We talked for uh, about an hour, so I wanted to split it into two episodes. Part one this week, part two next week. Before we get into the episode with Tripti, I have some announcements. I am thrilled to share that we made some waves on the charts in the past month or so. So in Apple Podcast, we hit top 10 in the relationships category in Austria, Norway, and Switzerland. Top 50 in relationships category in China, Finland, France, Ireland, Singapore, and Taiwan. Top 100 in relationships in Australia and just last week, the US, Woohoo! Canada, Belarus, France, Hong Kong, Denmark, Germany, Great Britain, Japan, and the United Arab Emirates. We hit top 100 in society and culture in Canada, Hong Kong, India, where we are located, and New Zealand. Lots to celebrate. And we could obviously not do it without you guys who listen and subscribe Oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And thank you so much for your support and for following us and for continuing to listen to the show. Side note, I'm going to be speaking at Podcast Movement 2021. So if you are a podcaster or want to be one, get your tickets. Tickets can be found on podcastmovement.com, online, or in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm going to be joining online here from India, August 3rd to 5th. Hello, namaste, and welcome, everyone, to the Invisible India podcast. I am thrilled today to have author and journalist Tripti Lahiri with us today, the author of a very influential book in my life, Made in India. I'm thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much for coming on, Tripti.
1: Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for reaching out.
0: Well, we're just going to dive right in. I've already given a little bit of an intro of who you are. I discovered so many things within your book. And uh, for those of you who know my story, an American in India, I've been in and out of India for about 15 years. And one of the biggest challenges for me has been kind of understanding the, the different hierarchies, invisible hierarchies within Indian culture and how I fit into that. So I know that that target audience of this book is more Indians and kind of like encouraging a social awakening and awareness. Uh, but I, as a foreigner, really benefited from this book. And I was, I was very touched by a lot of the things that you had to say.
1: Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's great that you read it. And I would love to talk more about yeah, your reaction to things that surprised you or that you found familiar from your own
0: experience. Yeah. So uh, let's let's chat a little bit about you. I mean, you have lived in New York, Delhi, Hong Kong. Uh, if you share just a short bit about yourself and what prompted you to write Made in India. Um,
1: yeah, I think, uh, so as you said, uh, my family and I moved around a lot. Um, uh, my dad was an Indian government worker in the Indian Foreign Service. And so we actually lived outside of India a, a great deal, um, and including most of my, a lot of my school life, uh, college life, and, um, and, uh, and I think a lot of my young adult life. And then, um, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of uh, Indian Americans or, or people, would come from India to the U.S., you know, I started hearing in the the mid-2000s more and more about how much India was changing and how I should really like go back and see for myself all the sort of things from people in call centers and people migrating to the city for new opportunities. And so I think after like quite a long gap, I came to Delhi where I had lived as a child, where my parents are from, and experienced it as an adult for the first time. So I think that this book is really a, a reflection of kind of learning and relearning a lot about India. I feel as a child, when I was speaking to foreigners or speaking to people in whichever country we happen to be living in, I think I often uh, said the party line about what India, you know, how India would like to portray itself, you know, about kind of conveying that maybe a lot of problems uh, were in the past. And I think when I came here and I had to run a household and I had to myself employ domestic health, I realized that every day is like an ethical minefield and many, many issues of Cast and class and, and fairness are like something still being decided on an everyday basis. And as a person with means and privilege, like I, I just became aware of how easy it was to just uh, by default get things wrong and, and do things in a, in a way that maybe wasn't fair to other people because I wasn't thinking about it or I was just doing what other people were doing as well.
0: An ethical minefield that is so relatable and i find that even in my own personal life i've faced that every day (laughs) living in india Uh, so just as a general review you feature different stories of many kinds of domestic help Mm -hmm. their stories their struggles and yet you also tell the other side of the story and you weave in such a colorful analysis of indian culture as a whole and certain mentalities that pervade and influence the whole like informal industry of domestic help and i mm-hmm. i personally feel like this is one of the best books about indian culture as a whole that i've read um oh, thank you because you really incorporate the daily life and the 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 perceived inequality that we as like, as a foreigner would perceive when I come, that, that oh, this is it's so simple. It's black and white. There's, you know, casteism and there's this problem and that problem. But as you very delicately embrace in your book, is there are no simple ways to reconcile this? And you either intentionally or unintentionally do a fabulous job at record, just revealing some of those issues mm-hmm. and shine a light even on patriarchy without directly <laughs> attacking for it. it yeah. It's just a masterful work. And I, very excited to talk more about it
1: it's um interesting you bring up the issue of patriarchy and and sometimes when coming back to the book um you know i think we had this discussion before in that when you write a book there are always issues of like you know did i reflect everything that i could have you know you know caste is very important here as well misogyny is very important and and there are sometimes when i look at some chapters and i sort of feel like i did I kind of fall into the trap of, of, of being like, oh, here are these bad female employers mm-hmm. without really positioning it into, this is unfolding against a backdrop of, of deep misogyny. This is unfolding against a, a backdrop of class and caste prejudices dating back years. And it's so complex. It's very hard um, to even capture it in a, in a single book As despite the number, large number of words uh, you were able to devote to it in a book. Yeah.
0: Is it okay if I read a little portion
1: Yes, but would be uh, interested to see what you choose.
0: So one of the things you mentioned, the um, inequality of just domestic work in general. So a 2014 or, uh, study, an organization for business e- economic development, cooperation and development report on how men and women in some two dozen countries spend their days mm-hmm. found that Indian women do 35 hours of housekeeping chores per week compared to two hours a week for Indian men. In other words, they do 15 times more housework than Indian men, the worst ratio in the study. Uh, there shows that there's this is clearly too heavy a burden to bear, and so outsourcing domestic work is one of women's only options. So um, women obviously rely a lot on house helpers and managing everyday life, and, and there's just more domestic work that, that needs to be done. Did you see that really across the board in the conversations that you had?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly right what you say. Uh, women of a certain class are fundamentally dependent on domestic help to achieve a certain level of time freedom, uh, to work outside the home and so forth. Like, let's take that 35 hours versus two hours. If the domestic worker doesn't come, somebody still has to do that work. And it's not going to be the man. You know, for example, even in my own social circle in the pandemic, uh, I know a lot of people who have, like, uh, asked the domestic workers not to come for a period and then as a result are doing the work themselves. And I and I know for sure that it's not broken down evenly uh, between them and their partner a lot of the time. And so I think that's what also maybe lends a, lo- a certain amount of friction and... Contentiousness into the relationship the women are having because if the worker doesn't come, the man will still go to office and do everything and expect that like the home life is going to get sorted one way or the other, uh, and that is the woman's problem to solve. So, so yeah, I think female autonomy and freedom in a certain class is intimately uh, tied to domestic work and to not being and as a result to not being able to maybe be flexible uh, all the time regarding the needs you know, the needs that those workers have to manage their own uh, homes and household situations and emergencies which frequently come up. And that's where the friction comes up.
0: Let's talk about the haves and have nots. I'm gonna read from page 61. The walls of Delhi aren't all created equal. They too can serve as markers of class and status. The walls in older neighborhoods where families still occupy the homes their parents built when the world outside the home seemed less threatening and families did not mind if passing street vendors could look over the walls into their homes. Although with the wisdom of hindsight, one has to ask, was it truly a gentler time or was it just a gentler time for those at the top of the food chain when a million mutinies had not yet begun to erupt, forcing the haves to build higher walls? Those of us who are really um, in kind of more of a privileged situation, is it part of our responsibility to pay a fair wage to to continue to see development occur in uh, the working class and in domestic labor? And do you think that kind of the suppression of continuing to keep low wages of domestic labor is Is really like keeping one third of India below the poverty line?
1: So yeah, I think, you know, there are low wages across the board, across professions, um, you know, whether from white collar to to domestic work. And I think conversely, when wages do rise, which uh, I think in domestic work, they have risen, um, at least, you know, for more experienced workers, that is a a path to upward mobility. I did meet a lot of people where I could see that the fact that their mothers, or or maybe in some cases, grandmothers had done this work, uh, maybe had done it at really pitiful wages had actually had paid the way for the next generation to to uh improve. That didn't actually work all by itself. Like it was very necessary sometimes for employers to be quite actively involved, like to help navigate systems, you know, maybe to help get into schools or to help with tuition. So yeah, I mean, I think that there is an onus to to think about. We, you know, so often in interviewing in interviewing for this book, where I really leaned heavily on family and friends. You know, I I would hear this debate come up of like, you know, we, we shouldn't spoil the market rate. We shouldn't um, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. we shouldn't spoil the market rate. We sh- you know, that's wrong. There's a market rate, and we should stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um. But I feel like there are so many other ways in India where we don't stick to the market rate or where, you know, you graduate from a top tech university. Mm -hmm. um, You know, you're getting just a a crazy enormous salary. Is that really the market rate? So I I sort of feel like, you know, the market rate is not an abstract thing that just comes into being by itself. It's like we all set the market and create the market rate. If, you know, if enough people think, okay, like as a factor of what I earn, I can probably pay more, even though I know that so-and-so would accept less and or, or uh, it's possible to pay less, then you shift the market rate. I do think uh, we can have those discussions and thoughts, and a lot of people do, actually. And I think, you know, when I, when I interviewed people, I kind of realized, you know, that I or my family, you know, we weren't necessarily, like... Uh, pushing the envelope, I met so many people where I realized uh, what they were doing was probably a lot more than what I had thought about to do, whether in terms of wages or in terms of other kinds of help, like getting a documentation or something like this. Or, you know, particularly there were employers who'd help their, um, uh, their worker through some kind of legal issue, which which is very challenging. You know, like people would think very carefully before doing that because the legal system is difficult. Uh, but they were doing it because they really did mm-hmm. feel that was their obligation, you know, having benefited in other ways from from the Indian government or education or so uh, other mm-hmm. things.
0: that patron client relationship almost where they, yeah, if i if I work for you, there's an expectation that you will, in the sense, take care of me if there's some tragedy or some uh, you know you might not pay me a lot on a monthly basis just for no reason, give me extra money for this, that and the other thing, but there may be there should be other benefits or light of insurance in having a relationship with a, a powerful, you know, patron or, or boss. And I find that in my own life personally. And it is sometimes easier just to throw money at something. Okay, you just take this and, and go. Uh, and and just to personalize it a little bit, um, Abhishek, my partner, uh, he always um, is challenging me in this where, you know, money can't fix every problem here. Sometimes our employees need are more of, you know, you helping them to navigate certain systems, which may be complex, like, signing up to get the vaccine going through and and making a call to see when the vaccine is going to come to this particular location near their house giving them the time off to go and 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 get that at a moment's notice whenever there's no things like small things like that um but i think this is definitely a struggle for me of wanting to keep uh, a a personal distance but it's difficult when as you've eloquently like captured in your book to keep that distance when people are really in your everyday life being the memsahab versus being a friend is always a challenge for me as a person that did not grow up with any kind of sense of hierarchy between people, right? In the US, that's almost seen as, as wrong to like explicitly define it that way. Since we are talking about books, I want to tell you about Karate Tales. They have just adorable resources, chapter books and some bilingual books, many English books for kids as well. If you've ever seen the Karadi Tales uh, videos with Karadi the bear, the na 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 na, my kids love those. There's some really incredible stories about like mythology and Indian culture, and just adorable stories rooted in Indian culture that they've done several videos on involving animals and different characters. As far as their book selection, I did a few read-alouds on my social media pages with my kids. Look on my Instagram for two books I got recently. Uh, Number one was Tukpa for All, which is a book about a Tibetan family and tells story through food. The second one was Magic in My Fingers. It's a story about a boy and a girl whose father wants to teach them Indian classical music. These books were both in English and so cute. So go to my offers page and discover more about Kada details. Invisibleindia.podcast.com/offers. The links are also in the show notes. If you're looking for more bilingual or Indian language books, Tulika is an incredible place to look as well. I probably own more Tulika books than any other for Hindi language books for my kids, and these are also great for adult learners as well. Tulika has an incredible amount of resources for multilingual kids books. And they have a number of Indian languages available. Uh, I have an interview coming up with an author from Tulika. So hold on, and that will be coming soon. I also have a number of suggestions on Hindi kids' books for my Hindi starter kit for kids. It's on my website, InvisibleIndiaPodcast.com, and there will be a prompt to sign up and download that free PDF from the, my website if you just go down to the bottom of the page. So yes, Karari Tales and Tulika Books, that's T-U-L-I-K-A, And Karadi Tales is K-A-R-A-D-I. Before we get back to the show, make sure to go to our YouTube and get a glimpse of Tripti and I speaking together. The video conversation's on our YouTube channel, Invisible India Podcast. You can subscribe there. We put up all kinds of things, occasionally vlogs. I just put up a highlights reel from Abhishek and my wedding because we just celebrated our, our 11th anniversary. Yikes! So yes, the highlights reel from our video is on the youtube be sure to follow us on social media instagram twitter facebook and TikTok. and if you haven't signed up for our newsletter that comes out every two weeks that is also on our site i send updates about the episodes and other offers that are coming out every couple weeks so all right let's get back to tripti for you personally how did you kind of like navigate this sense of hierarchy from living in so many different places and then moving back to India. Uh, Your your journey is, of course, captured in the book, but how was it for you to kind of navigate this? And are there any little anecdotes that you want to share of moments that hit you?
1: Yeah, uh, I would say that having lived in so many different places and even some of the places we moved to had domestic work. But I mean, to me as an outsider, they seem to be like somewhat... Uh, less unequal relationships compared with India. And then also living in America, where actually, I feel like perhaps at the time we lived there, there wasn't so much domestic work, but I almost feel like it's increasing now. Like there's a, I mean, I hear a lot about nannies and families having nannies and and needing them so that people can, so that the women can go to work. I think that I ended up having just a really difficulty finding a center on this issue. You know, I'm definitely very much shaped by India, but I also feel that I'm shaped by by the US as well. And I felt that I would have quite a Jekyll and Hyde relationship of sometimes wanting to have, be that sort of patron that could... Help the person working for me. And at other times, like wanting to be like, this is not my problem. I'm going to pay you a wage. Let's end it there. And, you know, I, I have other things. I have to do this kind of thing for other people. You know, I don't actually want to take it on for you, if I'm honest. And also being very hierarchical myself, like being mercurial, you know, one day being sort of like, yes, you know, take your time, help yourself to this. And the next day being angry about somebody being late and I had to wait for them. And and wondering like why why was I like that and feeling like realizing that maybe I had been shaped by these sense of hierarchies and Uh, Acted accordingly, and this because the society around me was also the same way. There wasn't really anything telling me that oh, this is really wrong, or you really need to be better. Like that really had to come from within me, and I think that's what's hard. I think in places where there's more equality, more economic equality, and more rules, and people are more aware of how badly it would be looked at to, to. to pay a certain wage or do a certain thing. I think those are very helpful and in a way restful things because you don't have to decide everything yourself. The law is telling you and broader social norms are telling you. Whereas you know, if you're responsible for everything from like figuring out the norm, figuring out like, okay, what is a wage that is fairer than the wage, but that also won't make me look like a pushover. You know, How do I set norms for my children uh, in a society where maybe you know, other parents have other norms. I think it's very, it's difficult. You know, it's a lot of mental energy. And for example, you know, it isn't always possible to muster that level of of mental energy. It definitely is better when there are broader social norms around these things, um, pushing you to behave a certain way. Uh, That's definitely kind of my conclusion about this.
0: If you made it all the way to the end of this show, you are in for a surprise. Tripti has offered to give away a free signed hard copy of her book to listeners of the show. Go ahead and check out our social media to see rules for the contest of how you can win. Go on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok to see how you can win a copy. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Listen to part two coming next week for more incredible conversation and insights on the informal labor markets of India. Hope you to join us. Feel free to check out all the resources I mentioned. Everything is listed in the show notes here. And then, of course, on my website, invisibleindiapodcast.com slash offers for the offers and just the main page for the free download.
1: The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar
0: and Ed Hanley on Tabla on Rag Been